Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, dear listeners. This is Robin Stratton Burkessel, and I welcome you to another awesome episode of Positivity Strategies Podcast. I use the word awesome wisely because you'll be filled with awe as you listen to my guest today and see hear some of her fabulous stories. My guest is a global thought leader and practitioner, teacher and consultant in Appreciative Inquiry, and she's been around since the early days of Appreciative Inquiry. I'm truly honoured to have Dr. Marge Schiller on the show today. Marge, thank you from my heart for spending time with us. We can learn so much from your vast experience in AI, and I'll invite you to tell some of your favourite stories and even where you see the future of AI. Marge, welcome to Positivity Strategist. Thank you, Robin. Marge and I have had many, many conversations in the past, and Marge actually read the transcript of my book, for which I'm most grateful. So, um, again, thank you for, for being available, Marge, and for sharing all your knowledge and insights and experience. So, Dr. Marge Schiller has been consulting, teaching, and writing about appreciative inquiry since the late 1980s, and her current passions are using AI to support strength-based approaches and methods in intergenerational dialogues with school and youth, and she's also very passionate about embodiment, embodying AI, and what does that mean, and we'll explore more about that. Marge teaches and writes about appreciative leadership, appreciative inquiry in action, and the topic of diversity is hugely important to her as well. Marge is co-author of Appreciative Leaders in the Eye of the Beholder is the title, and that's a Taos Institute focus book. And she's written commentaries and book chapters and many, many um, other publications on subjects related to the applications of appreciative inquiry. One final thing I'll say before Marge starts to take over the microphone here, and I'm so looking forward to that. Marge is founder of the Positive Change Corps, which is a global community serving education and youth. And Marge has taught at Boston University, Harvard University, the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, as well as the Federal Executive Institute in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the Rofi Park West in Sussex, England. Now, Marge, I know, loves her work and she loves to play. In fact, work and play are inseparable for Marge. So, Marge, let's start there. Talk to us about play and work and what that means to you. Well, Robin, why don't I start with a story because your prompt brings up a story. And what I love about stories is how much they, they live in our head and our heart but they also live in this, this space was, was that what really, really happened? So the, the story gets, um, gets enriched. So here's the story. Uh, years ago, I, I think 
I had the first feminist television show in the United States. That's what we think. WCRB Boston. It was called In Her Own Right. And uh, I, my, my understanding is that there's still records of that show at the Schlesinger Library at Radcliffe, now Harvard. The producer of that show was Kathy Schlesinger, Arthur, Arthur Schlesinger's daughter. So it's not a bad, it's really a good thing that those papers ended up in the Schlesinger Library. Anyhow, so I did this show uh, and I became somebody who was seen as a commentator on women's stuff. So once a week at the uh, NBC affiliate, I was a local show, and I was asked to do a segment with a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, who is still alive. She run, ran the Eagle Forum, which is a very conservative group of women, and uh, spoke very, uh, very compellingly about the reasons that women should stay at home and be good housewives and so on and so forth. So in order to have that uh, interview and feel comfortable, I brought my then seven-year-old son, Andy, with me. I, I wanted to show I, I had mommy chops as well as <laughs> feminist chops. <laughs> so, so in that live interview, because I, I did bring... Andy, it wasn't on air, but uh, off camera, Andy said to Mrs. Schlafly, Daddy work works and Mommy play works. <laughs> and when I heard that, I thought he meant that I wasn't serious, but my husband's work was serious. That wasn't what he meant at all. What he was saying is Mommy enjoys her work and Daddy really doesn't like to. <laughs> my husband actually retired at age 38. He didn't like what he was doing. And I loved what I was doing, and I still love it. So the word plurk seemed like a good possibility for the way I like to live life. You like to play too, don't you, Robin? Absolutely, yeah. So you introduced me to the term plurk, and I think most of us in this community know that that was your term, and we all think that we're plurking through life. There, when I was in Barcelona at one of the international AI conferences, I was told that there is a word in Catalan called sane, S-E-N-E, and that that word means the combination of Dionysus and Apollo. So isn't it a wonderful thing to think that if we can hold our work lightly and extend our energy through that positive experience of play, how much further we can go with the things we really care about. Yes, that's so beautiful. So tell me, how did you and Appreciative Inquiry fall in love? A story, a story. <laughs> Before I tell you the story, I have to <laughs> tell you that at one of the very first Great Who Am's meetings uh, of uh, Appreciative Inquiry, because we really started with just 20 of us, um, we're debriefing the meeting, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm with two friends from Seattle, and we're each giving one another feedback about how we were in the meeting. And the feedback I got, which I always loved, was, Marge, you, you were really uh, contributed well to the meeting, but, gee, you tell a lot of stories, and I still do. 
So here's the story. <laughs> <laughs> I was with my dear friend Jane Magruder Watkins, and she was being installed as the president of the National Training Labs, NTL, one of the historic foundations that, of organizations and thought leaders that many of us know. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been working for the 9X, which is now Verizon, and I'd been asked to do work on uh, sexual harassment because uh, in the 80s that became a very uh, flagship issue for uh, human resource people. Mm-hmm. And uh, for many years, I, I, I've done uh, women in leadership courses. That's why I'm so interested, Robin, in seeing the, the pechakucha, pechakachacha mm-hmm. that you did in uh, Nepal. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, I met Dave Cooperider and... I was so impressed because what I had been asked to do at some level Marge, perhaps you could just explain, in case there are listeners who don't know of David Cooper Ryder, would you like just to? Well, if if, uh, Appreciative Inquiry has two daddies, Sarvesh Shavashana and David Cooper Mm -hmm. Ryder would be the two daddies. Great. Mm-hmm. I'm not. There are a lot of mommies, but uh, those are really the two <laughs> daddies who, who yeah. wrote. <laughs> he, they wrote the book that makes the whole world sing. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, uh, so you what, met David, and what I was concerned about that uh, was the way of dealing with sexual harassment mm-hmm. initially was kind of like puppy training, kind of like. You're a bad dog, and you shouldn't do that, you know? Right. And yet it was clear to me there are many wonderful relationships between men and women. And uh, so I proposed that we studied those uh, relationships. And when I met David, I thought, wow, why don't I just hire this guy? And we did a very interesting study that really looked at the good, true, and beautiful relationships that people had. And at that time, when I had proposed this to the head of human resources, there were a lot of concerns about, you know, is this really serious stuff? And I asked that guy if he would try it at home, and he did. And that's how the contract happened, because at the dinner table, instead of asking the kids about their day, he started to ask them about what had happened that thrilled them, excited them, interested them, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So flipping around from we've got a problem to how can we build on the opportunities that we have, how can we build on the strengths that we have, that was that was a, a start. And Robin, I, I, I want to say one more thing about how I learned about appreciative inquiry, because for people who are listening, there are many opportunities to learn about appreciative inquiry. There are workshops. There are credit-granting courses. There's all kinds of stuff. But I like the way that I learned, and that was essentially as an apprentice. I hired David, who knew a lot more about it than I did, and I learned with him. Mm -hmm. And just as that's a good way to learn how to make shoes, it's also a really good way to learn appreciative inquiry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally endorse that, Marge. In fact, that's kind of been my growth, not only through appreciative inquiry, but all the practices. Go and learn. I learn it from the best 
this is kind of how I run my life. And then I go and I volunteer to work with them. And I've done that with you, if you remember. You know, I did some volunteer work with you because I think it's working with people who are already skilled and gifted and experienced is how you actually learn. So I totally endorse the fact that you learn from the best and you work alongside them. But it's also to be able to clerk with colleagues is such an uplifting experience. I remember when you went to Northern Essex Community College with us, That's you were right. invaluable. Mm. And that whole uh, intervention at Northern Essex has become uh, part of a book that uh, uh, Joan MacArthur Blair and Jeannie Coquille have written about appreciative mm-hmm. inquiry in education. And the current president of that university is a seasoned appreciative inquiry practitioner. It all began at that session where you you were very much a part of it. Mm, yeah, yes, we bring we bring our own strengths to it, right? So um, I I think that's fantastic. So Marge, could you? Um, with all, go, you know, I want to go one more thing on that. We bring our own diversity. Yeah. To it, and I don't just mean yeah. the diversities that we mm-hmm. think about uh, uh, the, the thirty different communities or fifty whatever that we all we all belong to. Uh, our our age, our gender, our color, our ethnicity, our religion, blah, 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 blah. We bring our differences of experience and thought. Yeah. And if I had an AI t-shirt, it would say, gee, I never thought of it that way. And the only way I can buy that t-shirt is if I work with people like you and others because you're thinking about it differently. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's that whole social construction, you know, principle number one. It's all those different perspective and lenses that you bring to it that um, is expansive and amplifying. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So Marge, what, how do you describe yourself in relationship to appreciative inquiry? You know, are you a practitioner? Are you a leader? Are you, you know, all of the above? So I'd just love to know if you were to describe yourself in relationship to this this body of work and this contribution to the world, where, where are you? That is a question that I have never thought about. I've never thought about it. I, David Cooperider has said that I'm a congenital collaborator. And I'm <laughs> a, <laughs> so I'm that. I'm also uh, a constant learner. Mm. So, Curiosity would be a, a major piece of, of who I am. And another piece of who I am is um, a respecter. Uh, a respect, what, a, what a good time to be a respecter, huh? Mm-hmm. In the United States, this is a very contentious and difficult uh, time in our public policy. And to be able to hold on to respect and uh, move into that field that Rumi talked about, the poet Rumi, you know, that, mm-hmm. that place where we can just come look one another in the eye, listen to one other, another, and maybe even learn something. Yeah. So let me ask you another appreciative kind of question. What do you value about yourself, Marge, as that, that learner, as that respecter? Yeah, well, right now I'm supervising doctoral candidates for Leiden University 
as part of the uh, Tao's uh, PhD program. And what I value is that um, at age 78, I see myself sort of on this escalator. Mm -hmm. I'm still going up. Mm -hmm. But I care very much. I don't want to say but. And I care very much that the things that I am passionate about are still in the mix, in the ether, uh, and live on. One of the things that I've been very, very good at is I'm very good at starting things. Uh, a project called Citizens Legislative Seminars that I started when I was director of education in the state legislature in Massachusetts is still going. It's uh, over, uh, let me see, I guess it's 35, 40 years. I started the Massachusetts Women's Political Caucus. That's still going. Uh, uh, Boston Lunch Club for Women is having their 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So I'm a starter, but I also want to make sure that the things that I'm doing have some life because we put a lot of energy into starting things. And uh, I, I'm on the escalator on the way up, so I'm looking through, I'm looking behind me and saying, so who else is going to go up to the top floor? Yeah. That's great. I love what you say that you put, when we start things, we put a lot of energy into that. Um, and so then we're looking for the continuity piece. So let me kind of go a little bit broader now and say, well, what has been the most effective way of introducing appreciative inquiry into an organization? So how do you get it started? And, and well, you have so many stories around that. So I'd um, love to just learn from you. All right. Um, think, uh, let me think a little bit. And, okay. The two things that occur to me right away, uh, first of all, are uh, little a, little i. So there, there are two ways to look at this. Yep. Go big and go small. Yep. Uh, little a, little i is that small experience, that conversation that really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. The third, the second is go big. And I've done a lot of summits, and those summits are very, very energizing experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third thing is mindset. Uh, When when I first started working, and it's certainly my first client on with Appreciative Inquiry was the United States Army, and I did a lot of work for the Army. because when you start talking to people about the things that they don't know about what are, what's going well, it's a really interesting conversation. People are so articulate about what's wrong. Yeah. Of course, we know that problems, problems have little baby problem children because <laughs> they have unanticipated byproducts. Actually, actually something just happened that was kind of interesting about how do you introduce appreciative inquiry into an organization? Um, if anyone's interested, I'll, I'll send this to Robin. But there were two spectacular ads uh, in the New York Times, full-page ads from Starbucks, the coffee company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess they went viral because other people have told me they've seen it. I've been trying to give Starbucks a compliment. The ads, are, they're beautifully written. They're about about our own personal responsibility and uh, I, I can't say enough for the elegance of, of, the, uh, of the office. You can't give Starbucks a compliment. They are programmed to solve problems. Hmm. 
And I find this fascinating. So after writing several things about, I'd like to use these ads with some of my students or whatever, what I found was that when I phrased it as, this is a complaint. My complaint is I can't give you a compliment. I got offered free coffee. <laughs> so when we think about how organizations, corporations, <laughs> tell me what's wrong, I'll fix it. You have just reminded me of something that I have just become aware of like 20 years later. I used to work for the Estee Lauder Corporation in Melbourne, Australia. And um, my first role there was training manager. And so under that role, I had to deal with customer complaints. And so I'd get these lipsticks where, you know, the lipstick had come out of the case or something. And I got into trouble from my boss because I was not dealing with the complaints. And I said to my boss, and I think I got demoted for this. I said, there are so many good things that actually work. Why are they complaining about one silly little thing? (laughs) I didn't realize I it just made that. me see it in a different way. But, you know, immediately you jump to people who are complaining. And um, to try and give praise, it's so hard. So it you're really is. absolutely and right. It is just, it's laughable, but sad. Well, I have this personal rule for myself that any time that I do complain about something, and I do on occasion, uh, we won't name names, but we all know the, uh, the telecommunications providers that make us nuts. Um, <laughs> If I have to deal with a complaint, I have to make three compliments. <laughs> you, that in, you do that instinctively? No, it's a rule. It's a rule. Uh-huh. And it stops low-level complaining because, right, if I have to make three compliments, <laughs> do I really want to yeah. <laughs> really want to make this complaint? And it's just wonderful. Very important, yeah. Well, what that rule does is it makes you say, you know, that wasn't such a big deal. Right. That's a great rule. I think that's a fantastic tip. Yep. Okay. So we were talking about introducing um, appreciative inquiry into organizations. Marge, have you found that um, you get invited in because it makes sense or they've heard of it? And have you ever worked in an organization where you've introduced it for the first time? And I'd really love to hear that story. So. yeah. I've worked with a lot of organizations where I've introduced it for the first time. Okay. I want to say one thing about, and, and I'll tell you a story, but I want to start. No, I don't want to say but. I want to say and I want to start. Great. Let's, let's, it's not about the but. Let's get out of the but, huh? Yeah, it's both and. and. It's both and. It's both and. And. The interventions have been most successful when I can find an appreciative leader in the organization. Uh-huh. When I started out, I thought, do we bring appreciative inquiry to human resources or do we bring appreciative inquiry to marketing? Mm-hmm. Because marketeers are good at understanding a good story. Mm-hmm. And when we have people whose uh, uh, responsibility energy is to find the flaws, they're going to find them. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not trying to, to diss human resources because that's certainly uh, where, our, where we, we nurture our, our human resources. But it was an interesting question to me. 
So when I have found an appreciative leader, working with that person has made a huge difference. An example of that would be, uh, it's a Harvard Business School case about work that I did. Uh, I led a team that involved uh, Jane Watkins, David Cooperider, and a guy named Rusty Rennick, who was a colleague from uh, 9X. And we worked with Avon Mexico because the challenge was all of the leadership of that organization, a cosmetica organization, mm-hmm. was male. And the mm-hmm. customer base uh, was female. So when we came in, what we did was we worked with a woman named Marsha Worthing, who was executive vice president of human resources and who intuitively and instinctively got it. Mm. And there's someone like that in every organization. You just have to find them. Great. Because if you don't, (laughs) what will happen is your excellent summit or your beginning work starts to crumble. And that's where the yabat happens. Yeah, but that was really good. And yeah, but that really worked. But yeah, but I don't think that'll... Uh, no, 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 no. Because another issue in organizations is if people really want to be the smartest person in the organization and they're the boss, it makes a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So finding the internal appreciative uh, leader is, is just huge. And having uh, the way that I work is to have the client system design the summit. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. We support them in doing that. So in Mexico, for example, uh, there's always a big activity and a highly energized activity. I call it naming the baby. And that is, what is the summit about? We could say, what's the topic? But you could also, what are you going to call the summit? Beautiful. And after a great deal of conversation, the decision in Mexico was mujeres y hombres trabajar en equipo, men and women working together. That doesn't sound really sexy to me, but that's what they wanted, and that's what's important. Beautiful, yeah. Yes, that's one of the seminal case studies, the Avon um, work that you led in um, Mexico. And we can put a link to the show notes page with that, for that case study, which I think is still on the Appreciative Inquiry Commons, right? I don't know. Yeah, I'll, ch- I'll check it out anyway. But that's great. So, Marge, could you say a little bit about what – how you see or what are the qualities or attributes or what comes out when you talk about an appreciative leader? Yes. uh, I'm working on a second edition of the Appreciative Leaders book, and the lead author will be Jackie Stavros, who uh, did her wonderful book on SOAR. So this is something I have been thinking about. You know, in the history of appreciative inquiry, when we start, there's a model, and most of us, many of us start with this model that is called the 4D cycle. Mm-hmm. And if you have a chance, have you had a chance to talk to Ada Jo Mann, who really is the, uh, uh, the person who figured out the 4Ds? Uh, so that those, uh, those Ds are discovery, dream, design, and originally it was delivery. Mm-hmm. And yet, Appreciative inquiry is an iterative cycle. It's not like a list. It's not like a checklist. It's not a horizontal. It's a, it's a circle. Right. And so 
delivery was been there, done that, got the, 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 I'm done, you know? But then you start again with inquiry. So delivery didn't quite make it. Now people often use the word destiny, and uh, I guess that works for some folks. It's, it, I'm not quite sure. But what I do know is that appreciative inquiry happens when we, uh, we, we hope to be an embodiment with a big D. Ah. Embodiment with a B-O-D-Y, an embodiment of the principles of appreciative inquiry. And there are many things that have been written about principles of appreciative inquiry. You can go from seven of them that Jim Ludema started to, I think, Mac O'Dell had 11 of them, but there lots of different principles that, that you'll see written about. Uh, and the embodiment, as folks in uh, Verizon used to say, is people who walk like they talk. Uh, Chris Arger is a major theory leader in in uh, uh, organizational behavior, talked about uh, espouse theory and theory in use. Mm -hmm. And when those two theories are in alignment, we are an embodiment. Yeah. That is fantastic. So, yes, embodiment. Say more about that. Well, uh, this is uh, this is personal homework, <laughs> and because it's actually one of the uh, an enactment or embodiment is one of the principles that isn't one of the foundational five principles. You know, we have enactment, we have wholeness, and we have narrative. So the embodiment is really critical. And you've said something, but I just would love to just to hear you say more. Well, I think about it a lot because I think that is dare I say, the spiritual journey. And for me, appreciative inquiry has a spiritual element. So that the difference between embodiment and a lot of the areas that we might consult or teach or profess is that it's personal work. It's astonishing how when you are in the presence of a person who is embodying an appreciative, curious approach, a valuing approach, it just opens, opens up so much. So to, to, this is, this is, this is just you between you. How, how can I be? How can I aspire to be? When am I? When have I done best at being an embodiment of the appreciative inquiry principles? Mm. How am I doing? How am I doing? You know? Yeah. And, and to me, what you're saying, Marge, is that in order to embody um, this worldview is to really understand what these guiding principles are. That's so when you when you kind of em- when they're actually in your body and you and you walk the yeah. talk, you live it, it comes through. And um, that doesn't happen overnight from my perspective. Um, it takes, you know, it takes work. Well, that's why apprenticing and collaborating are so yeah. important. Well said, You yeah. have to have your own stories. Mm-hmm. Because you have to have your own experience. 
Because your body has to have been in that place. Yeah. 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 So um, I'm just kind of just absorbing that at the moment. Um, But I'd love for you now to kind of just do another shift and we could keep talking forever and so maybe you'll come back and do that again. (laughs) But what advice would you give to young people who are starting out or learning, you know, I'm teaching up at Champlain, teaching um, advanced applications of appreciative inquiry to graduate students in the positive organisation development program offered there. And so, you know, these are experienced people and they're really excited about having another, looking at the world and their work and their, their personal journeys through another set of lenses. So, as they go out and, you know, they get very excited about this and see the possibilities and the curiosities and all those things, we, I mean, I'm including myself here, we do come up and we bump up against resistance to this worldview, you know, the traditional classic kind of conservative view of what organisational life and leadership and organisation charts are all about. So what advice would you give, not necessarily young chronologically, but new people who are very excited about appreciative inquiry and what it could offer the world and the world's calling for it. What would you say? What? How do we, how do we keep the encouragement, keep the opportunities open? And I'm going, you know, this is a big question. I believe in colleagueship. I believe now more than ever before the idea of intergenerational relationships. And in, and a generation is not just an age. Mm-hmm. A generation is amount of experience. A generation is the amount of time in an organization. Yeah. So uh, somebody can be uh, 50 years old and the new kid on the block, and somebody can be 20 and have started the company. So intergenerational colleagueship. And I am not talking about mentorship. Um, mentorship for me is a very tender word because it is an unequal relationship. Yeah, And I have a core belief, uh, as I said earlier, that the respect and the equity that happens when we value one another's ideas, opinions, and contributions is foundational to appreciative inquiry. Because it's really, it's really listening with, uh, listening with three ears and a heart and eyes and every sense. It's listening with your body too. Uh, so to, uh, if I were going to give advice, it would be go find someone you can colleague with. Mm-hmm. For example, um, right now I'm working on a project called Stan and the Four Fantastic Powers and it is a children's book. Mm-hmm. about appreciative inquiry. And those powers, for those of you who know the 4D cycle, begin with uh, the D for discovery. Well, in the children's book, it's uh, this discovery of me power. Me power. What, what are my strengths? Uh-huh. Okay, so we're starting with the strengths. Mm-hmm. And in appreciative inquiry land, we talk about dreams, well, in this children's book, we talk about sea power. What's my vision of what ought to happen? And in Appreciative Inquiry, we talk about design. In a children's book, we talk about we power, working with other people. But I really like the fourth D, 
uh, because we figured it out. We call it do power, because you actually have to do something. So that's a little bit about the book. The more important thing is about how the book is being written. The book is being written because of a positive psychology student who is also a school psychologist uh, who came to me about doing a project. And I've always wanted to do something for third and fourth graders. Uh, we started this project as a book. My condition was that we involved my twin grandchildren, who when we started were 10, and they are full contributing authors. Mm. The level of their contributions would knock your socks off. Because... When we get these different perspectives, when I work with my two 30-something colleagues, uh, the school psychologist and an illustrator named uh, Stephanie uh, Randolph, Shira, Stephanie are in their 30s. They are technology, they, they live in a different technology land than I do. So having these differences, not as senior, junior, we are all collaborating, and it's not always easy. Now, I don't want to suggest that um, coming from 78-year-old land uh, and uh, working in equity with 10-year-old land and, uh, and 30-year-old land is always easy. But sometimes we speak different languages. Do you, for example, know the difference between a nerd and a geek? I didn't until the 10-year-olds explained it to me. There's Can you remember of, what they said? Uh, a geek, yeah, a nerd is pretty much Dungeons and Dragons. But a geek, a little Dungeons and Dragons, but also Minecraft and other <laughs> other stuff. But now I hear people talking about, uh, you and I are clerk geeks. Geeks are just people who are passionate about something. So right. embrace your inner geek. I love that. I didn't yeah. know the difference. I was, that's what I was asking right. you. <laughs> Always, always talk to a 10-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we were talking about kind of the, the – so you're saying in terms of dealing with people who may not get it or who are resistant in some way. What I'm saying for students mm -hmm. is go find a colleague. Yeah. Go find someone who is doing appreciation. Yes. And if you're in Vermont – we got names. If you're other places, we got names. Because one of the strengths that I bring to the party is uh, I'm not only a congenital collaborator, I am a congenital connector. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that makes me happier than when A and B get together because they're going to do, do great things. So to find somebody to be a colleague means that you have something to give and so do they. Yes, that's beautiful. And you have something to get. I mean... Look at the relationship that we had and the gift that you provided to the Positive Change Corps, to Northern Essex Community College. It was invaluable. I know you got a lot, but you gave a lot. Mm -hmm. So find, find a colleague. And, yeah, uh, and there's I, joy. There's so much joy in that giving when you see it's of service and of value. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it's about colleagueship. I like that. Yes. You're like very that. good at making up these terms. You you connect these terms and concepts as well, like plurk. Well, can't you see the colleagueship? Can't you see yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Of the, of the rough oceans of, 
uh, dissent and disdain and uh, with these rocks of problems coming up in the sea. As colleagues, we are able to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it was, it was either Marvin Weisbord or I think it was Marvin Weisbord or it might have been um, Peter uh, Brock, Block, uh-huh. who said people support what they themselves create. Exactly. Dave uh, Cooperider said something very interesting a couple of months ago. I've been pondering on it. He said communication is no longer filling people in. You know how certainly when I was when I was working in state government, you always kept people apprised of what was going on, but 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 that's not communication. Mm-hmm. Communication is engagement and involvement. Yeah. So yeah. colleagueship, that colleagueship will uh, will reach its destination because it's engagement and involvement. Yeah. Marge, is there still an AI dream project you'd like to be part of? I want to I shouldn't say is there still. I mean you've done so much. So I'm just I mean I'm imagining you've done it all. So when I say still, I mean, you know, are there things out there that you think, oh it, there's so much more opportunity. What would be the one that I'd like to be part of? Well, I've had three careers in my life. The first one was in government and politics, and that's a long story, and, and media. Uh, the second one was running a business with 20 people. And the third one was my life changed uh, uh, at 911 in New York because I was working for a hotel chain and the executive vice president walked in and told us that the World Trade Centers had been hit. And there was not really much sense in going on with these 70 people who who were there uh, in an AI intervention, appreciative inquiry intervention. Mm -hmm. Just before she walked in, I had asked a question, is then the same as now. And they had just started talking about that. And of course, that was a, that's really a major change in the United States. It changed a whole lot of ideas, thoughts, experiences. Well, what changed for me was that group of hotels had a crisis committee uh, and they had people in the World Trade Centers. And at that point, nobody knew what was going on because uh, there was no communication. So I asked uh, Lynette, one of the secretaries, uh, if I could help her because she had her four-year-old daughter, Rachel, with her. And so I started to bring Rachel around the office to show her the fish tank and stuff like that. And what I observed was that people who had been crying would stop crying. They would see this little curly-haired child with big, big eyes and They'd hear her squeaky little voice and they'd stop crying. And people who were frozen would unfreeze. They would physically unfreeze. And I have come to believe that the image and voice of hope is children. Mm. And that's where my passion is. That's what I want to have happen. What I want to see is a curricula for uh, appreciative inquiry in education, and that's on its way. What I want to see is a plethora, a bouquet of projects and possibilities and uh, publications 
and uh, people who take the appreciative inquiry, the strength-based, the positive psychology into the world of education. We have gone through uh, an area where we said, it's the teachers, or it's the students, or it's the community, or it's the parents, or it's the, it's the, it's the. We, we live in a world of whole systems. And so to begin to understand all these wonderful things that are bubbling right up, that's what I want to see. I want to see strengths back in education. And when I say education, I'm really talking about lifelong learning because what used to be bright lines between higher ed and K through 12 or pre-K or uh, the myriad of opportunities for uh, senior people, that's all starting to melt. Mm. Can we bring our strengths and the strengths of appreciative inquiry to schools, youth, education, and meaningful intergenerational conversation? Mm. Yeah, a beautiful dream. And I know it's moving into design phase. So, you know, you've something you started a long time ago is, you know, it's still, it's still working. It's still happening. So um, I, I'm going to ask you if there's anything that you want to, any way that if you want people to reach out to you or I can put something on the write-up that I do that accompanies this uh, conversation, Marge, I'll put that up on the page so that people can reach out or there are materials they might want to, you might want them to access. So is there anything else that you would like to add by way of closing now? It's been such a rich conversation. There's nothing more fun than the stories we evoke in one another, and I'm so glad you told your essay water story. (laughs) That makes me feel that this was a conversation that was an exchange. So you said... Uh, this will, this will be in awe. And so I'm saying to you, Robin, oh, shucks, this was fun. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I knew it would be, Marge, because um, <laughs> that's just the dynamic, you know. It is this co-construction. And when we come from this place that we're both respectful and listening and curious and celebratory, it is awesome. <laughs> So thank you so much for being my guest and I can't wait for us to share this for other people to be listening to this really fabulous conversation. Thank you for all your contribution. Thank you, Robin. Bye-bye. Bye. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows so grow towards your best. <laughs>